From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. It's so good to be back with you. I am here in the studio. We don't have all of us today, uh, but we are a podcast that focuses on missions and culture and healthy church. And so let's introduce the ones of us who are here. Uh, First of all, Scott Armstrong, but to my left, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. And from Barbados, Reverend Dario Richards. Hello. We do not have Natalie with us for this episode, but um, uh, she sends her greetings and uh, we'll be excited to have her for the next episode. Uh, this episode is interesting. Uh, it's something that I think it, Dario uh, and, and certainly we as the, as the Armstrongs are pretty passionate about. And, uh, and really it came because we were reading an, an article together and this article was called, <laughs> now don't, I mean, if you're listening to us, don't get overwhelmed. The article was in an academic journal, and it was called Transnationalism, New Pathways for Mission. Now, I am not going to use that word very much in the rest of this episode, but essentially what it was talking about uh, is that in in a time of globalization and in a time of urbanization, so, so we can define those terms, people are moving constantly. And so uh, I've titled this episode, Ministry in a Mobile or Mobile World. And so um, let's dive into this, right? First, Dario, would you be able to just tell us, as we talk about these terms, globalization and urbanization, I think the latter is, is even easier probably to define, but what comes to mind? You've studied this and you've kind of lived this as well. When you think of globalization and urbanization, uh, kind of for our listeners, kind of help boil that down. Yeah, when I, when I think about globalization and urbanization, I think about um, greater levels of interconnectivity around the world. I think about uh, the movement of people, the movement of goods, the movement of services, mm. the move money. Like we just live in a day when we are so much more connected, so much more interdependent, and it's so much more easier and desired for people to move to cross borders and to go and set a life where they feel like, and in many ways still be able to to I guess maximize the benefits that they are pursuing. So, so like in a simple term, globalization, urbanization, it helps the world to become smaller. It, it leads to, to uh, multiple cultures, multiple people being able to be found in, in the same locations, working and earning together. So that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah, as population grows and as we become bigger, we're still even more yeah. connected. There's nothing we can do even from buying clothes, yeah. from from whatever we're eating, that it hasn't come through some multinational and multicultural process yeah. to get to where we are. And then the urbanization, like you said, I mean, the cities are growing. I mean, people are moving, but especially to the yeah. cities. So obviously the, the writer of this article, and his name is Jared Looney, a missionary as well, he just basically says, now, taking in mind, keeping in mind globalization, urbanization, these realities, missions in the 21st century has changed quite a bit. Globally, the mission field today is a different place than it was just 20 years ago. And he uses the word diaspora. And Emily, we've mentioned that before a little bit in, in an episode, many, many episodes ago. Um, but he says diaspora communities, especially immigrant communities in cities represent a new arena for missions. What do you think he's talking about? And 
And what does he mean when, when he says that? Yeah, well, I can speak to that in the context of here in the Dominican Republic. Literally, the president of the Dominican Republic, when he is campaigning, uh, which we're going to have a presidential election again next year, um, he is campaigning here in the nation, but he also goes to New York in, in campaigns because there's so many Dominicans that live in New York currently in the United States. And so I think that's a little bit of like a glimpse of what's happening. And that's just one, one nation that we know of, you know, I think there's so many people that have a home, but like you said, Dario, it's so easy to pick up and not just visit another country. Like I feel like when we we're in the 1950s and 60s, you started to see a little bit more of like global tourism starting to to happen with the airplanes that could finally go, you know, farther distances, and it didn't take quite as long. You didn't have to be in a military plane in order to do the travel. Um, but nowadays, people are not just being tourists in these places; they are literally picking up their lives and saying, "I'm going to create life." in another country that even though I've lived for 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, there's adults that pick up their life and they go to live in another country. And so that's kind of what that diaspora is. And when you start to have cultures that do not only stay in their own space, but they're starting to be in other spaces as well, then, and you see that happening all over the world, that there's just this big melting pot of, of cultures that's all over the place. Yeah. And Dario, like biblically, we have a precedent for this. No, I, I mean, literally this is not new, although it's becoming more prevalent. We, we've seen this since in even New Testament times. Yeah, I mean, the Jesus' encouragement to the disciples when he challenged them to go, like to, to go, go um, beyond your very place of where you grew up, where you live, where you're accustomed to, um, to Judea and Samaria and go all the way to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission was always a global commission. And as we see the book of Acts unfold, we see a type of um, resistance from the very apostles, you know, not to go. Everybody was still huddling in Jerusalem and staying close. And back then, what caused global mission to take place was persecution. <laughs> you know, it was it was the pressures of the day, the persecution that caused the apostles not to to move out of the city and to go to distant places. Um, in many ways, no, um, that requirement that call remains we are still called to go um global to reach the ends of the earth it's just not that what is driving that is different it's not persecution no yeah. it's globalization mm-hmm. uh and our persons are moving for all types of reasons uh, but in many ways the call of god to make disciples the call of god to expand the kingdom still remains and uh, so it's n- it's nothing novel for the church to be thinking global to be thinking about moving and crossing borders um, i think what globalization does it creates such uh, an awesome opportunity uh, for us to be able to move in, in one of our episodes we're going to talk about um, creative access ministries and globalization nothing has opened opportunities uh, for creative access ministry like globalization uh, because no it's it, it is so normal for persons from different places to want to pack up and move to new places for no other reason other than to work, to do business, or just for a new experience. Um, It has created some really good opportunities for the church to move and to keep moving. Yeah. 
And I think even part of when when you were just introducing even that concept, Scott, you said that it's um, changed in the past 20 years. Mm. And that statement for me is like, it kind of hit me like a load of bricks, actually, because I was like, we've literally been missionaries for 20 years. Mm. And I feel like um, we've been seeing these things happen. And as somebody that works literally in missionary mobilization, I'm glad that somebody has started to put some vocabulary to it of like, we can't do things in missions the same way that we were doing them 20 years ago because the world is different now 20 years later. So I think yeah. uh, some of these concepts of when people are leaving their spaces and you find them in other countries, like what does that do? How does that affect the mission? What do we do as the church when that's what God is doing, right? Like what you're talking about, Dario, is I think it's easy for us to think about, well, people are just deciding to, um, you know, they want to try a new culture. But as a Christian worldview, we would say, no, God is placing that spirit of movement in people for some reason, he is wanting people from everywhere to go everywhere. He's creating in my mentality. This is just my own the theology. But like if the kingdom of God is a multicultural kingdom, he's literally making space right now on this earth in, in the places that we see and exist, that we are starting to experience what God's kingdom looks like because there's so many different cultures in the same place, because there's so many different languages, because we are a better reflection of God when we're mixed together as opposed to when we're separated out. Um, so I think some of these concepts of like, so what do those things do for us as missionaries? How, sh how should we teach that differently? Yeah. And we're going to get to some of those opportunities because I think that's crucial. Uh, when somebody from Indonesia, let's say, is in in New York, you know, there may be some opportunities for you to be able to reach Indonesia from right. New York in a way that you couldn't by sending someone there, you yeah. know, uh, but we're going to get to that in a second. But I think before that, we need to kind of talk a little bit of, of, of the emotions and a little bit of the, uh, uh, a little bit of the feelings of, of what, what takes place as leaders when we invest in someone and then they do leave. Now I, I have someone right in mind. We planted a church here in, in close to Santo Domingo in Dominican Republic and one of our key families ended up leaving and they went up to the you know northeast uh, of the United States and um, seems to be that they're doing well they, you know they found jobs and their their kids are studying and things like that but i have to say like we invested in them and they were the best especially this man was just that person that you'd love to have in a church. I mean, he, he helped the church go around, you know, he helped the church, anything that we needed. He was a servant heart. He didn't have to be up in front, but he would do all the dirty work. Losing a person like that is so frustrating. And it's like, oh, why did they have to go? Right. And this kind of touches on something that even the author of the article was saying, he said, eventually I stopped mourning the challenges caused by doing ministry in a highly mobile society. And instead I began thinking about the opportunities presented by a world that's highly mobile and increasingly connected. I shifted my mindset. Listen to this. I shifted my mindset and I feel like he's kind of putting, you know, just signal, signaling me out. you right. I need to shift my mindset too and not lament that my dear brother is up in New Jersey now. <laughs> I shifted my mindset to celebrating the many populations of urban dwellers who represented relational pathways for mission and pursued strategies that he's saying, the author is saying he pursued strategies that then led to a viral spread of the gospel. Now think about that phrase. I slowly realized that we were operating in the mission field of the near 
future. So, so with that as our trampoline, Dario, Emily, what are the opportunities that now we have instead of saying, whoa, is me, I'm so sorry that this, like, I'm going to invest in someone and they're going to be moving in a year, you know, or somebody else came into my community, but I mean, they're probably out because they're just studying and within four years, they're not going to be here. What are some of the specific opportunities, missional opportunities that are at play in this connected, mobile, globalized urban society. Yeah, well, I specifically remember talking to somebody from the Eurasia region when they started to see a lot of the refugee um, situation get steadily worse when it started coming out of Syria. And the Syrian refugees were leaving. And this was what, I mean, we're talking... 12, 15 years ago now, that seems like forever ago. Uh, but they started to have that type of mentality of, so we, they were starting churches with refugees. However, they also realized that as refugees, they don't stay in one place very long. So what does that do to a typical church structure? And so the leadership of Eurasia had to start looking at those spaces as spaces that they were training disciple makers. And so they said, you know, it might be that there is a refugee that's fleeing from Syria and they're on their way to whatever country, let's say they're on their way to Germany. I don't know where they're on their way, but like as they're in the middle of these places and they stay with us for six months, like if every church that they connect with, that's a Nazarene church, if we can send them on to the next Nazarene church and we're constantly like building this discipleship in them and taking the word with them, that by the time they end in Germany, if that's where they're trying to get to, then all of a sudden you have a Syrian refugee that has been discipled and can start potentially a Syrian church in Germany, right? Like, because they feel like they've been trained. And if it takes them a year to get there or two years to get there, then they've received this, this training on the way. And um, I think that's a really great embodiment of what the, the Great Commission is, you know, as you are going, make disciples. And, and they have taken that very seriously. I think anybody around the world can use that same strategy and in any type of refugee situation, there's there's so much immigration that's taking place nowadays because of refugee type situations that if we just saw these people as people that are carrying the word with them, then we don't mourn them leaving our church. It's almost like you celebrate when they leave because you're like, wow, God's taking them somewhere else. And there's more people that are going to be able to be reached by their testimony. Yeah, no, I agree. I think some of the biggest opportunities that globalization has created is it's really an opportunity for the church to return uh, to some of its original characteristics and function. Hmm. And I know sometimes, especially in, in, in the normal national structures, is it's difficult to do this because so much emphasis is placed on numbers and reporting and, you know, and our growth is obviously designed by, you know, membership who's not just saved but also baptizing to a member of our church and having that number tracked and just the threat that globalization could create when it is that that person may not be moving to another Nazarene church etc uh, so there is some thought concern around that but I think if we can return to as Scott was mentioning about some of the early mindset of the church you know um, like, like the church isn't isn't measured by its seating power, but its sending power. Hmm. You know, there's so much emphasis on how many seats we could fill. While the early church was about how many people can be sent. Mm -hmm. You know, it was actually a healthy thing for for you not to have a thousand people show up on a Sunday morning if you could show that 800 from that thousand are actually 
being sent out and engaged in ministry and disciple making. Uh, so if we can adopt a sending mentality, how do I prepare to send? Like how from the very beginning as people come in, our mindset is actually to prepare them to go. Some will stay, but some will go. How do we, you know, reorient our brains to, to think about the sending capacity and power of our church? Uh, I think another thing is about that difference between multiplication and addition. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where Jesus was about the multiplication of the kingdom, making disciples who make disciples. And once that is a commitment, disciple making uh, happens wherever you go. You know, it happens wherever uh, wherever you land. And if you are going to commit to making disciples, sometimes that person may commit to coming back to your local church. Sometimes they may find another local church. Sometimes they may give their lives to Christ and they have to go back to a country. You have to recommend a local church over there as opposed to the usual um, additional mindset. How can mm-hmm. we add more numbers? How can we add to our Sunday school? But developing a multiplication yeah. mindset that multiplies leaders, multiplies disciples, multiplies missionaries. And then and then I think the, the other thing which is connected is, is having a disciple-making over a decision-making um, mode of outreach. So there's a heavy emphasis in our culture about making the decision to follow Jesus, you know? <sighs> We and, and it is good, like, once somebody responds to the gospel and make that decision, we celebrate. Like, the angels celebrate, they have just moved from death to life. Mm-hmm. But the biblical emphasis isn't just a decision, but the discipleship. Yeah. And, and I believe if we commit to disciple making, even when people move, like, and you see it as Paul's life would unfold. Like Paul is moving, but there is still a deep level of commitment to the churches he would have planted, to the places he had been. There is still the interconnectivity where even though somebody has moved somewhere else, there's still mutual benefit that can be shared because of the disciple making that would have taken place. Um, in the diaspora, there's still impact that mm. can that can that can happen there. You know, many people are now looking to the diaspora and other places to help to mobilize missionaries and mobilize um, work in different places. And if we are committed to making real disciples and not just being um, okay with just persons making a decision, they put their card, they put their ticket to heaven and that's it, then I think the church begins to to reorient its mind to really embracing the opportunities that that globalization uh, create. And if we could just make one more comparison, um, I learned about this uh, a few years ago at a conference where the guy was highlighting the difference between incarnational ministry versus extractional ministry. And he was making the point that uh, we practice a type of Christianity which is very extractional. You know, we, we tell people, come out from among the unclean thing. And what that really means is when you give your life to Christ, you can't hang with those you used to hang with. You know, when you go to work, you must make sure that there's a clear distinction between you and people, sometimes what we literally do is we we invite them to church. They come to church every day in the week. And then when it's time for outreach and evangelism, we ask these same people that we literally extracted from their communities hmm. to disengage and disassociate with their neighbors, to not go back and to share the gospel with these people. And the mentality the neighbors usually have is, I don't want that. Because what I saw happen here is this person got saved and all of a sudden they couldn't come and sit with us anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, everything just became about church, church, church. 
as opposed to an incarnational type of ministry where we empower people to be disciple makers wherever God has planted them. So if you're a lawyer, how do you be a disciple maker in the world of law, in the world of medicine? If you have to move to another country and you are a salesman, how do I bring the kingdom of God into my workspace? And I think some of those mindsets are are some real opportunities for the church to, to re-engage in this whole globalization, transnationalism uh, conversation. This is excellent. Uh, many people know that this podcast really is sponsored by Missions Mobilization and by Genesis. Uh, those are our two ministries here, at least for, for us, the Armstrong family, in, in our region, right, and in these countries. Well, we're constantly seeking uh, how to reach the cities and how to reach the nations, right? How to send out missionaries. And we, Emily, we literally in the past year and a half have been, I'm going to use the word tormented, <laughs> tormented by visa issues for our missionaries. Visa issues. Like we cannot get people to some some places that pre-pandemic it was very easy and now all of a sudden it isn't. And, and let alone some of these other places across the world, right? Yeah. And, and really, I think we would even say, Emily, like God has really been working on us. Like what if we, what if instead of thinking of only the traditional way, and I don't think we should ever get away I've from this, yeah. but, but instead of the only, you know, the traditional way of saying, let's train missionaries from this country. Let's, let's just say from Mexico to go to India, right? Well, it's, it, what if it's so hard to get into India, but what if there are lots of Indians that happen to be in Mexico City? Yeah. Why would we not train missionaries within their own context, within their own culture, but to learn a different language and learn a different culture and be missionaries in Mexico City? Uh, literally, we've been talking with and reading uh, from other practitioners and other missionaries that are in global cities, right? And they may be from the United States, but they're working in New York and and literally one of them shared, you could send missionaries to Ecuador, others to the Dominican Republic and others to Colombia. That's valid. I mean, that's definitely a way to do it. Traditional way to do it. Or you could send a missionary to Roosevelt Avenue in Queens, New York, who could impact all of those cultures and nations at once. Another person shared how they were really like making a difference in a, in a Chinese family and some Chinese students. And then they were Skyping back or FaceTiming back with their family family in China after they had come, this was after many, you know, months and years, but then they were able to impact their family in China after they came to know the Lord, you know, and would that have happened in the same exact way by sending a missionary? Or maybe the, the other question is financially and with all of the implications of sending someone to China or sending someone to some other place, like, could you impact China in a different way by just being just being in a global city and viewing it that way? You know, so those things are I'm really wrestling with that. And I think from some conversations we've had, Emily, you you as well. Yeah, I think where I feel the the Holy Spirit kind of like putting his finger in our backs is we've been developing Genesis for over 10 years now, and it's been sending missionaries to big cities. And we know that a piece of what God wants us to do is to develop the existing urban church mm. and help them to become more missional. And what are the qualities of an urban church? Like using this word urbanization, what are those qualities? And I think a piece that we need to 
embrace, not even just embrace, but really like really comb down through what we have been teaching and training our existing urban churches is, are you multicultural? Like use these, use some of these words, right? Like if we're saying the city is this, then what are you doing in order to reach these pockets of culture that are not the culture that you're in? They yeah. need to be more missionary mindset. Even as you talk about, you know, different culture groups, I'm thinking about, I know in Guyana that there is a large population group from India because they literally have that Indian connection. Like it's a family connection that there's so many Indian uh, people that live in Guyana and they still have a family connection back to, in, to yeah. India. And so it's like, well, what do we do if we raise up the Guyanese church to be like, we're not just reaching Guyanese, but we're also reaching the people from India that are going back and talking with their own family members. Or and on FaceTime. Or on FaceTime. Yeah. And they just have a natural connection that you don't have to try and create a connection because it's already there. I think about um, countries in our region like Panama that literally because the Panama Canal exists there. There is so much trade in Asian areas in general, but a ton of Chinese people are in yep. Panama City. They're there for business. Arab. And Arab. There, there are just so many people groups actually in Panama City, it, but because the canal is there. So what do we do if we train a church to be like, you know what? You probably could have a really great ministry if you could learn some Mandarin, if you could learn some Arabic, if you could be a place where these people are like, I don't fit into Panamanian society. Society. And if there was a church that said, oh, but but we understand your culture and we understand your food and we want you to be a part of us, they would flock to a place like that. And then you're training them in who God is and who Jesus is. And they naturally have that connection with people back in their own countries yeah. that they would just naturally take it back with them. And I think that's what I love about like this whole conversation is how can we be more intentional? Mm. And the challenge is not just to be like, we need to be more intentional, but like, what are the steps that we're going to take? What are the things that we will say that we will do if we are an existing urban church? And I think these are some of the easiest ways. It's still hard. I'm not saying that it's super easy, but it seems like the writing's on the wall of how to continue to move forward in the conversation. And you mentioned something really important, which is we're not saying the Panamanian church would then go to them and say, here's how you can know the Lord and also become Panamanian. Right. Like, right. like we're saying on your terms, with your food, in your own language, yep. we will do the missional work and the missionary work to adapt to you, even within our own city and our yes, own even country. Even though we don't have to. Yeah. I'm comfortable here in Panama City, but I want you to be comfortable as a Mandarin speaker in Panama City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the gospel is not just to be translated back into the culture where you happen to be. It is in your culture as right, well. Right. Yeah. So I know nah, this is a few years. So I think it, it will be okay. Um, a few years ago, I met um, a North Korean who was actually um, reaching his family in North Korea in a similar way. Mm. Um, he was able to make it to another country. And because of the church being committed to reach him, and reach him in a manner that encouraged or challenged him from the beginning to yeah. think about creative ways mm. that he could reach his family um, back in, in North Korea. Um, he was he was doing it. And at that time, there was actually a report because you, you, you actually don't hear many public reports about uh, the growth of the church in North Korea. Right. But around that time, they were presenting on the fact that 
it was like almost like the church was booming. Like like mm. there were there was a strong gospel movement happening in, in North Korea and it was through persons um in cities in multicultural cities, um, not just saying, Oh, North Korea and you know, swipe it to the side. It's like how do we intentionally engage and reach this individual in a manner that empowers and encourages them to do yeah. the same and to reach their family back home as well. And through the work that he was doing, his family was actually converted in North Korea. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And think about that. Like, like we could we could say we're gonna really train and send someone out and look for visas to get someone from Barbados or from the United States or from Jamaica to go to North Korea. It ain't gonna happen. It ain't going to, ha- I mean, we're just not going to, they're not going to let us in, but we are able to essentially send a missionary to North Korea by being willing to invest in the North Korean that's right next to us. You know, I actually think that's a piece of what we need to reconcile. Like as the global church, we need to start recognizing our immigrants that are in and amongst us are the missionaries of yeah. the future, yeah. right? Like the more that we can become the missionaries in order to reach them in our own spaces, they become the missionaries that reach to the ends of the earth. And I think that's the whole entire, like that, that's the blow your mind type yes, mentality yes. Of, of like, we all have a part to play in missionary work. And then some of us, it's to reach the people that are in our backyard on their playing field. And for them, it's to be like, oh, now I can take this really great news back to my home culture because I have a connection point there. Like everybody can find themselves as a missionary, a literal missionary, not just to be like, I'm sharing God's word, but allowing yourself to be in context with culture, allowing yourself to be in context with language, allowing yourself to be like that context. That's the biggest piece of being a missionary is recognizing that like, there's things that I have to learn in order for the gospel to to go forward. And if we all have that mentality and embrace it, that's when you truly will see the whole world. I mean, literally Dario can be like, I know know that this is happening in North Korea, one of the most closed off countries in the whole world. And God's already making it happen. What happens when the church is like, so if God's organically making this happen through his spirit, what happens if the church is super intentional about training the people and saying, this is how we do it. I mean, like I, I want to be in missionary mobilization with a program that does that. And if you hire me, then that's what I'm going to (laughs) start preaching. (laughs) This is awesome. Yeah, I think Emily, yeah, I think what it is um, good for what you were sharing is that one of the, as globalization and globalization has has emerged, one of the new trends that we are seeing is is like this, this return to nationalism, mm-hmm. which is like a direct, yep. you know, direct fight back against globalization. More and more countries are saying, all right, either this is work for a while or clearly this is only benefiting a certain yes. um, group of people. Like, how do we look? How do we know look back internally? How do we how do we become more protective of our borders? How do we, you know, how do we become more closed in, yeah. in many cases? Yeah. And, and if that is a growing trend and a, a potential predictor of the future, then what you just mentioned is so important hmm. because there may come a day that are there is a day where the best missionaries are actually people from the country or from the or from the group or from the ethnicity that we are trying to reach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like that is actually the best person to penetrate and to engage in that space. 
uh, because of not just because it made sense, like, yeah. Yeah. but yeah. also because of the, the growing trends in the world as well. So, I'm glad yeah. you said that. Yeah. And what if the church was the entity that's like, that's not, oh, we're scared of other people and other cultures, but the actual entity that's like, this is our opportunity. You know, this is, yeah. we, we're, we're the ones that are going to be open armed and uh, open minded to be able to say the mission is here, you know, and, and we want to be a part of what God yeah. is already doing. That's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, this is amazing. I feel like we could talk about this for a long time. If there are other people that maybe are, maybe God's, I believe that when God starts to stir us, like he's, it's not just us. He's probably doing that amongst others. If there are other Others that would like to kind of uh, share or, or or maybe get a hold of us and 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 let us know what their thoughts are. Where can they do that, Emily? You can find us on our Facebook page, which is the Worthless Servants Podcast. You can also find us online at mesoamericagenesis.org. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for uh, taking time to listen to this episode. Share it with somebody else. And we are the Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Emily Armstrong. And I'm Dario Richards. And we will talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at MesoAmericaGenesis.org.